Episode 218, Integrating Social Determinants of Health into the Clinical Workflow. Today, I speak with Dr. Ram Raju from Northwell Health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I had a hard time coming up with the title for this episode. I decided to go with integrating social determinants of health into the clinical workflow because Dr. Ram Raju gives some very actionable advice to this end. I could easily have also called the episode the social determinants of health movement or the journey to discover social determinants of health. Not a whole lot of guests could have pulled off these more sweeping titles, but Dr. Ram Raju on the podcast today can certainly do so. He has been on the top social healthcare influencer lists for years around his work on the social determinants. Dr. Raju is with Northwell Health and working on an initiative that will fold a social determinants risk score right alongside the clinical risk score inside the clinical workflow so that patients can get the care that they need, but also so that providers understand how the care they provide is being impacted by forces outside of medicine. I never thought about this before, but patients are currently risk stratified by clinical markers like high blood pressure or BMI, but a patient's social circumstances drive 80% of their ultimate outcomes. So if you have a patient living in a mansion with a master's degree and the same HbA1c as a patient across the tracks living in a food desert, these patients are not at the same risk. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Dr. Ram Raju. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You have been on a quest for a while now to understand why some patients' health outcomes are better than others, despite similarities in their clinical care. I believe that early on, you noticed that zip codes made a big difference. But figuring out why the zip code made a difference involved some study and some digging. So I think first you looked at access, like were clinics nearby and open after hours? And then you looked at cultural competency and trained everyone to be culturally sensitive. So I, I believe that you discovered that both of these factors moved the needle a little bit, but still neither were the force majeure that you were seeking. So big reveal. What is the factor of healthcare that makes all the difference? The social determinants of health. Now there's a revelation why the zip code matters. Because where they live and how they live and what is available to them as a social issues makes a difference. For example, if I am a diabetic, you know, I get the best possible care. But if I live in an area where what I, we call as a food insecure area and I don't have a car, I can never get my diabetes under control because I will not be able to follow the dietary instructions of my doctor. If I live in an area which is publicly unsafe, then I can't take a walk. My doctor tells me, Dr. Raji, you got to walk now half a mile, a mile a day. I cannot walk where there is no park in my area or it is publicly unsafe. So basically what happens is I will not be able to comply with that. So 
my doctor has to depend upon, he was not able to correct my social issues. So he has to depend on increasing his medication to get the diabetes under control. For many years, we compensate for the social issues or social determinants of health by giving more medication. Let me just underscore that point because I think it's a super huge insight for many years. And even today, I'd strongly suggest we compensate for social determinants by simply prescribing more medicine. A patient can't eat right. So the solution is to just write more insulin and more blood pressure meds. Robert Johnson came with this great study that in a chronic disease, only 20 percent of the outcomes are dependent on the clinical system All the major advances we made in our clinical system, the laser, the interventional therapy, endovascular techniques, you know, the best medication, advances in pharma, the best of everything, the best of chemotherapy, the best of medical devices, all those things only affects 20% of the outcomes. Only 20% of a patient's outcomes are due to all clinical care, and the other 80%. 80% is social issues where they live with, right? It makes sense, right? For example, I always use analogy of a seed and the soil. All the things we do in healthcare is to make the seed, which is a patient, better. We give them the best medication, best care, best surgery, best pharma, best chemo, everything best. But if you push the seed into the soil, the soil is the where the people live where what they do each and every day of their lives. You can treat asthma, but if you turn the patient back to the his apartment, which has got the rodent infestations or you've got cockroaches, which are trigger his allergy, he will come back again. It doesn't matter how, what the best medications or best treatment you give. That is 80%. It's interesting that you use the seed in the soil example because recently I interviewed Jonathan Singer, who is a professor and a luminary in the social work area, and they use a fish in a pond metaphor very similarly. So they say, you know, everybody's a fish in a larger pond and what affects the pond certainly affects the fish. Then I started looking at this 80%, where does it come from? 40% of the 80% is health literacy. That means we do not, which is different from patient education, we do not do a good job of making our patient understand the diseases and understand what we ask them to do and why we ask them to do what we ask them to do. So one of the health literacy platform people are trying to do, which I have been working on for some time, is how do we get this information to the patient through the medium of their choice, which is smartphone, in their language, at the literacy level, and how do we do the give the information in the right time? And that plays right into, there's a lot of work that's been done in, you know, what they call adult learning or adult yes, literacy. Absolutely. And one of the, yeah. the findings, which is very difficult to dispute at this time, is that nobody wants to know anything, that they don't need to solve a problem now. There's very few people who are just curious enough to explore a topic and and learn a lot about it. It's kind of like nobody reads the manual of their stove or something until the stove is broken, mm-hmm. and but then they pick it up with great interest. That's kind of what we're talking about here. You're right. We do the same thing in healthcare. Patient to discharge, we give them a stack of papers and we tell them these are all the instructions. This is a discharge instruction. This is what you do, make an appointment. This is your prescription. This is what you want to do that. And we don't ask them, right, do you have enough money to pay for the prescription or is, a, is there a pharmacy nearby? We never really look into those kind of stuff. And also it is not interactive. 
That is a 40%. Okay, so engaging patients and making information available in ways that patients can absorb and interact with comprises 40% of the 80%. The 80% that we're talking about here is the 80% of patient outcomes, the patient outcomes equation after you subtract the 20% for clinical care. The other 40% or 80% is what we call social determinants of health. If you discharge me and you ask me to come next Tuesday and I don't have a transportation, I'm not going to make that appointment. That is a social issue which is preventing me from going to the doctor. That is a 40% of it. The 40% are the social determinants of health. People who are vulnerable populations, the disabled person, all those people happen to live in those areas where there is a social issues. So knowing this, what are you asking people to do differently? What I am asking people was, as you are evaluating the patients, a clinical risk factor for a disease, the clinical risk factors are, you know, somebody's obese, somebody has got diabetes, somebody has got high blood pressure, somebody has got a family history, of heart attacks or they have high cholesterol level, whatever the risk factors are, the doctors always get the risk factors, right? That is called the previous medical history. We always get that. What we are asking people is also also try to obtain the social history from them. Not that you have to solve it, but at least you know, I am treating a diabetic, but that person happens to live in a food insecure area so he or she is not going to follow the diabetic management or food management. That simply means you are aware of it so that you don't keep on increasing medication. The social workers who meet with them can refer them to meals on wheel services, which delivers food at your home, which is medically indicated. We can use Amazon. Can Amazon can deliver food to your door? We're not asking the healthcare delivery system to solve them. We want them to make the referral to them. Just like you refer to a cardiologist, you refer somebody to a neurologist. Please refer the patient to appropriate services. That's what we are saying. What you are saying is a sea change in the way that currently much healthcare is delivered. What is the first step that a healthcare organization can begin, you know, a provider organization can begin to think through in order to you know, I'll let you pick the starting point, organize mm-hmm. their teams better or train or mm-hmm. uh, what do you do? In Northwell, what we are doing is, is it's a 15 questions on the social issues. You, you fill it up. You, know, you don't want the doctors to fill it up. You patient fills it up. The first thing what we did in Northwell was where do you start? What we did was we basically have these 15 questions questionnaire. And based on the questionnaire, right, we have an algorithm we are developing at the present time. It's not fully developed yet. It will be done in the next few months. We develop an algorithm which basically works in the background and assesses the risk factors of the 15 social determinants and gives you a risk score. Like a clinical risk score, it gives you a social risk score. So doctor doesn't have to ask, you know, you have food, you have this. He doesn't have to ask anything. As the encounter happens, the doctor opens the the patient's medical record. The social risk score comes up, 1 to 10. Doctor just clicks on that, and then it tells you why you are a high risk, that you are homeless, you have a mental illness, you live in a public unsafe area, you have no transportation issues, you have no public parks in the area, you live in a public housing which is uh, contaminated with the lead and whatever it is the things are. 
So we want the doctors to take a look at it and then basically click on the things he or she thinks which is relevant to the the condition they are treating because not everything is relevant to the condition you're treating, right? Then what it does is in the background, there is a program called NowPow, which is a local resource guide. It basically, it is a guide which is available right now all over the place. Most of the people are using it. It basically tells you, I want the homeless issue to be solved. Then it basically, what it does is in the background, it picks up the patient's zip code from his demographics and it matches with the the homeless services which are being offered in that area. It could be a government agency, it could be a for not-for-profit organization, or it could be a community-based organization. Let me just interject. So you had said that this available everywhere tool was called NowPow? NowPow, N-O-W-P-O-W. That's a resource guide. Is this like if I, if I do NowPow.com online, it's available to everybody? Is this something that a provider organization would need to... No, no, no. This is actually, uh, you pay for the subscription, whatever it is, you know, for the users, number of users. You have a license to use. Oh, I see. Yeah. So this is similar to, there's another company that I interviewed on the podcast quite a while ago now, Healthify. So, Healthify, same thing. So what right? those guys do is they look around to all of the CBOs, the community-based organizations, mm-hmm. and evaluate them and categorize them and surface them. What you're basically saying is that you've got that integrated into the system so the provider can do what? You were just getting into how they at Northwell use NowPow. Absolutely. Yeah. The algorithm which we developed, it simply means weightage. How much of, if the person has got four social issues out of 15. What is the weightage I give? Do I give more weightage to homelessness as opposed to drug abuse? Or should I give more less weightage to transportation as opposed to parks? So that is the, the discussion it is going to happen once we get our tool out because people are going to say, wait a minute, you know, you risk code this guy very high, but he's not that high risk compared to this guy because you give too much of weightage on this. But that's okay. I just want to have a conversation at the nation level so people are having to do that. I, if I tell them these are 10 issues I got, the doctors will not be interested. I got to give a doctor's a number, a metric, saying that. Then we can also say in two years down the line, did this social determinants score came down because we have involved, you know, like Healthify does. We got them, the community-based organization, they worked on them. Did this score came down? as a part of it. And then the question would be, okay, now the score came down, do the diabetes management got better? The treatment being the same, we give the same treatment for the last two years, did we get a better diabetic outcomes based on the social issues? Then we'll be able to prove that the social issue of food insecurity definitely affects the diabetic management or the outcomes. And we know that intuitively, but we want to make sure that we are able to provide concrete evidence that these things matter. Then people will start investing money in this. Otherwise, people will say, forget it. It's a social issue. We are not, we are doctors. We have nothing to do with it. Exactly. And you bringing up the economic model, I think, is very wise because as we all know who have been in the healthcare industry for any length of time, unless there is a business incentive or an economic model that sits behind whatever we're trying to do here, generally speaking, there's not a long-term success there. Yeah. 
so we kind of went through, and I thought that was also really interesting that by providing this algorithm, what you are also doing is providing a foundational metric so that a structure in order to evaluate the success of the program. How are other clinicians involved in this? So we've been talking about Dr. Doctor, but like, okay, so you shoot that email out to one of the CBOs. How do the other team members perhaps interact with what's going on during that core interaction? Let me first go to one point which before I go to that. The, the advantage of giving a, a social score is, one, educating doctors. So we want to make it a habit of the doctors not only looking at the clinical risk factors, also social risk factors. In 10 years, it will be a normal. Everybody looks at social risk factors as a normal way of doing things. Like you ask allergies, do you have any allergies? Same way people will say, okay, you're high, so you high risk for that. So one is education component. The second component is, right, the outcomes component. We are trying to tell the doctors, look, if that person, you have 10 patients are treating diabetes, six of them are doing well, and the four of them are not doing well, and that affects your rating. Because, you know, you have the five-star, four-star, all these ratings which come about your, how good a doctor you are. Basically, if I show them, look, it is not because of your skill or your treatment. These four patients have got some social issues. If I can use the community-based organization to fix that, your outcomes will get better. So that is an invest incentive for them to say, hey, wait a minute. Is there nothing wrong with my treatment? Why am I be given only three stars when the other guy gets four stars? That's because my social issues, uh, my patient has more social issues. If somebody comes and says, do not worry about it, I'm going to fix your social issues, and thereby I'm going to show you in two years that you are you're doing better because you are a good doctor. Your outcomes are unfortunately 20% depends on your treatment, 80% other things. And I'm trying to mitigate the 80% to get you the better results. So there is a buy-in from, from the doctors to do that. Now the question is, how does it work? The doctor clicks, again, it is still in process. It's not done yet. As I told you, it will be in another three months will be done. In the beta version, doctor clicks on the social risk score. He lists the social issues. The doctor basically clicks on that. Depending on your system, in a system like Northwell, we basically send it to the the queue of the social worker. So the social worker can really follow this up and make sure that the things are going in the right direction. As the population ages and demand increases for healthcare services, how do you see this model changing? At the present time, you know, if you have a social worker, chronic manager, everybody, that's a push model. That means they push the patient appropriate services. That's the way it works now. If you have a very good art, Northwell has got, you know, thousands of social workers or clinical managers, whatever we do, care managers. They basically find out the social issues and then they send them to the different things as part of it. That's what we call the push technology. We push the patient to that. Mm -hmm. We also have to develop pull technology because we not in the future, the time will come, the number of social workers will be overwhelmed by the number of people they take care of. So we have to really create enough pull in the community-based organizations through electronically and able to pull the patient. Instead of social worker referring them, ah. the community-based organization calling the patient and say, by the way, I found out that you are a high risk because of uh, X, Y, Z. And we are an organization, we try to help people. 
So could you come in and make an, I want to make an appointment. Could you come in and we we'll let discuss how we can mitigate that for you? So that's what I'm saying. So we need to develop both push and pull. Some people need pushing because people will not do it. But some people just don't know how to use it. And that time pull will be much helpful to them. What are the barriers that you have seen in rolling out this program? As you conceived of the idea of the algorithm, for example, did you just walk into the staff room one morning and say, hi, this is what I'm going to do? And everyone was like, yes, that sounds great. <laughs> no, uh, th- this is, a, I always say the social determinants is a movement. It is not a project. It's like a movement. It's like, a, you know, I'm not trying to be exalted way of looking at it, but this is a movement. This is a movement understanding healthcare depends on social issues, how much you get out of it. That is the first part is education of that. That education has got to start from, from the medical school level. So in Hofstra Medical School, we have the medical students basically learn about social issues, right? What happened? Just telling the patient, you know, you have to walk half a mile a day, and if the patient happens to live in a fourth floor walk-up apartment and she cannot get down, there's no elevator, that instruction is useless. That is really not going to get you anywhere. So the first part of it is education of the doctors, both residency as well as medical school, practicing doctors and practicing nurses and you know, PAs, everybody, plus the you know, residency training programs and medical schools. All of them should appreciate, understand this huge 80% social determinants is, is like a elephant in the room we need to tackle. That's one. The second part of it is, how do we get them to do that is, initially the barrier will be, look, I am a doctor. I take care of disease. Do not ask me to do anything else. That's not my job. That's what the government is there. That is what we pay our taxes for. Right? That's what people will say. Why am I? I'm already strapped for time. I'm trying difficult to see the finish all the seeing all the patients and able to go home in a reasonable time. So the question is we need to make it something in it for them. The some what is in it for them is you are being judged unfairly, your skill as a by star rating, saying that you are not a good doctor. You're not as good as other guys. The reason is because your patients have more social issues and I will help you to overcome that. So that is something in it for them. So that nothing is more important to a a provider that the self-esteem and important that they are as good as the next person is. That's the second part. The third part of it is if I can really prove that this really makes a difference, then I can go to the insurance companies and say, look, you are spending a lot of money on patient care because you're paying for emergency department. This patient showed up in the emergency department is because he does not have, uh, nobody can drive him to the doctor's office during the afternoon. The only time somebody came in because our son came from work at eight o'clock. So I will be able to show that if the social issues of this patient is actually costing you more money to the insurance companies, and they may be interested in helping people like me to address some of the social issues and try to correct them. And the fourth thing is to the major barrier is the money because nobody wants to pay for this because the reimbursement system pays for clinical severity of the patient, not the social severity of the patient. It doesn't matter if the person has got a clinical severity, whether he lives in Palm Beach 
or he lives in the south side of Chicago, the reimbursement is the same. The Medicare is exactly the same reimbursement. It's not anything different, right? And not really true because of the geographic distribution, but in the essence, whatever it is, because they do adjust by geographic. But let's say two people in the Palm Beach, you know, one is a, a poor guy lives in a shack, the other one is uh, lives in a mansion. As far as the Medicare is concerned, if the clinical severity is the same, that's what it is. I never thought about that before, that that patients are risk stratified by, you know, obviously yeah. clinical, not it's got yeah. nothing to do with social. Not social. But the clinical is only 20 percent. Yep. The 80 percent is there. So we are basically asking the government to say, look, in the ICD-10 code, which the, now everybody has to use it, there is a group of codes for the social issues that they call Z codes. We are asking the government that we need to ask people to fill the code. At the present time, there is people are not filling it because there is no reimbursement for that. If the government says, look, I'm going to give you some re- enhanced reimbursement for the doctors, if you can really have the Z code, the Z code can only be filled if you ask those 15 questions. Could you recap your four things again? Your four factors that are necessary for the business case for social determinants? There is an education. There's a reimbursement. There is a appealing to their personal, uh, what do you call it, self-esteem and changing the reimbursement system, both in a private sector and, and also in a government sector. All those things are important. That's a business case. Are there larger societal issues also at play here beyond the sphere of healthcare that might augment your statement that social determinants are nothing less than a movement? If these people are not healthy, they are not good protective workforce. So in this country, we need to have a good workforce because our country's major problem is the aging population. Because people like me, when I get aged, we are really not protective. We are actually going to live off the people who are being protective because they are going to pay for my, you know, health care and all those things, you know, they are going to pay. So we have to really pr- produce a productive health force. And if you are really starting off in a poorer neighborhood with childhood obesity, they live in a food insecure area. The only food easily available to them is uh, fast food. And that's what they eat. And they get obese. And because of obesity, they have other issues that comes in there or live in a public housing. They have a huge asthma issue or they have a lead issue or they are hurt because of lack of public safety. Right. All those things makes the future generation, the workforce productivity much, much less. So we are basically talking to the politicians and the employers and everybody else. I said, look, wellness is very important. And employees cannot be well unless they live in an area which is conducive to being well. So we are asking the corporate social responsibility, what we call corporate social responsibility, the CSR, which is mandated now, saying that please try to improve the social issues or communities where you are. So that is a point we are trying to make. So that's why I called it a movement. Hopefully it will catch on and people will say, okay, fine, we have to really do this. As a country, we need to do it as a profession. We need to do it as an industry and we need to do it for the future of this country. So that is where I am pushing the, the envelope to do that. There's a lot of barriers. It really does affect every American, not just people who live in the communities affected. And I say that because such a large percentage of our GDP goes to 
healthcare currently and what that means because it's a zero sum game that the dollars that are going to healthcare are not going to education they're not going to infrastructure you know many of the issues that we have in this country with other things at the root of it is that too many dollars are getting funneled into healthcare and unless these underlying uh, you know, the 80% of the problem that you're talking about is not redressed in some fashion. That's a trend that could easily continue. Obviously, there's other factors that are involved, but this is certainly one of them. Every developed country in the world, right, spends, the, if you take France, every one of them, in fact, we have this uh, beautiful slide, which I always love, right? Everybody spends amount of uh, the GDP on health care and they spend twice the amount in health. In United States, we spend 18% or 16 to 18% on GDP on health care, and we spend like 8 or 9% on the health. So the reason happened because health care has become a big industry. It's a big industry, and it has got nothing to do anymore with the you know, doctor taking care of the patient. There are many, many, many stakeholders in there. You know, the doctors and the patients are the only small portion of it. There are pharma, there are medical device companies, there are insurance companies, there are trade associations, there is a doctor's association, nurses' association, everybody. There are what? So everybody, when everybody has got a huge chunk of money is at, at stake and everybody has got a vested interest in that, nobody wants to reform it because everybody says reform it, but don't do it on my my side of the table. The doctors say, do reform, go after the insurance company. Insurance company said, look, the, go after the, the hospitals. Hospitals say, look, both the doctors are not efficient, insurance company is stiffing me, so you need to really go after them. Then there is a huge group of lobbyists, right? Basically, they're trying to manage healthcare in a different way. So that is the problem we are facing. Keeping people healthy is not good for the healthcare industry. If everybody healthy, then pharmaceuticals will not have enough money to do that. If the if the doctor started fixing the food issue and not using too much medication, then the pharmaceutical company will have a problem because at the present time, the way to treat diabetes is, uh, is not to worry about the food insecurity problem, but just give them more medication or higher dose of medication. Both of them benefits the pharmaceutical industry a better way of dealing with that. We have had multiple guests on the show, notably, for one, Alex Young from Ernst & Young, among others, who have said fairly inarguably that if economic models remain the same in this country, don't expect much to change. The economics really create like cement boots that make change really, really hard. We have a culture in which we say, I have the best cardiologist in this country because he did last year alone, he did 1,000 cardiac uh, stents, he put it in there. That is not something to be celebrated. That means if somebody got that worse, needed a cardiac stent, that means that person's uh, primary care doctor didn't do a good job of keeping him healthy over a period of time. But instead of that, we basically celebrate the sick care and we actually advertise it as a part of it. Hey, I have the best guy over here who, can, who really did a lot of those things as a part of it. The culture is a problem. The economy is a problem. The responsibility, accountability is a problem. Lack of education, understanding the importance of social issues is a major problem. So this has got to be done in a multiple levels, in a multiple area. That is why I call it a movement. It is, cannot be, you can't just fix one. 
you got to fix the whole thing. But I believe a time will come when we cannot spend any more money in the health care or sick care in this country. People will say, hey, wait a minute, we, we can't spend any more than that because our country's infrastructure is decaying. We cannot put in education. This is a big problem. So we need to find something different. Then people will come back and do the right thing. As Winston Churchill used to say, we Americans, we always do the right thing, but we'll try everything else first. <laughs> I love that quote. Dr. Ramraju, I thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.